Mora conducts physician-led support groups, helping people live healthier, happier lives, free from chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And on our podcast, Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus, we bring to you nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests to empower and inspire you with their knowledge and stories of plant-based lifestyle so that you can be your healthiest self. Hi, welcome to the to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm super excited to welcome Stuart Waldner. How are you today? I'm doing great, Lori. Thank you so I- much for having me. Thank you for joining us. And you've written a new book called Escape the Matrix. So Matrix, Matrix, Um, lovely title. I can't wait to dive into, you know, how did this come about and your expertise and why you wrote the book. So I love, let's go dive to the beginning, right? What, tell us a little bit about your history and how you evolved to want to be a person to write a book with a very interesting title. (laughs) <laughs> okay, sure. So um, I'm going to be 61 years old next month, and uh, I've spent 58 of my years on this planet in the state of Kentucky. Uh, it's a beautiful state and full of kind-hearted, uh, generous, loving people. Uh, I love where I live, and um, but it is one of the states in our nation that has um, many people with health issues. Uh, In fact, I think uh, Kentucky ranks 48th in healthy behaviors and 47th in healthy outcomes. And there's only one other state that has more people with multiple chronic health conditions than Kentucky, and that's West Virginia, our neighbor. So I grew up with um, a lot of people around me who were suffering from a lot of chronic conditions such as uh, diabetes, obesity, uh, heart disease, hypertension, to the point where where I just thought, you know, this was inevitable. It was going to happen to everyone. And the best we could do was to try to manage it with pills, shots, and surgeries. And, you know, that's how I grew up. Um, Then at the age of 23, I was finishing my uh, degree at the university, and I decided to make a lifestyle change that Uh, medical science said would offer me the best chance of avoiding uh, these chronic conditions that I saw in so many of the people around me. And that was that decision I made was to give up eating meat. So I gave up eating all meat in 1985 at the age of 23. And um, then fast forward to 2008, I became entirely plant-based and I, I gave up eating dairy and eggs at that point. And so it's been almost 15 years And throughout that entire time, I've enjoyed excellent health. Um, And I just think that, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think that my giving up animal-based foods was an ounce of prevention I needed that would uh, give me the life that I didn't need a cure. I've been able to avoid all the chronic conditions that I see in so many people around me. And, Then in 2008, when I became plant-based, I also became aware of the impact our food choices have on the environment and uh, climate change and animals. So that became uh, another reason why I took it a step further. And then I just started doing a lot of research and I dove into topics like health and nutrition and climate and the environment and animal welfare. And the deeper dive I took into uh, these uh, topics, the more research I did, the more I felt compelled to share my story and try to uh, connect the dots for people. So I'm all about helping people make informed decisions. And I think the science in my book will help people make better choices for their health, the health of their family, for their community, and for the planet. So I felt at that point, I just needed to get off the sidelines. You know, I was all these years, I was just doing my thing and happy to let other people do theirs too. But I saw the writing on the wall that we really needed to address this. And the food choices uh, are so important, not only for our own health, but for the health of the planet. And um, that's what brought me off the sidelines uh, and motivated me to write this book, a book I hope, you know, people will will read with an open mind. It's full of science, but I tried to make it as easy to read as I could. And um, I have 
over 400 citations and there's like 30 pages of notes in the back of the book so people can follow the research and follow the science you know everything in my book has been fact checked and it's not my opinion this is what uh, nutritional science and climate science is telling us and so I just hope people will you know follow the science and and pick up a copy of my book and just uh and just enjoy it and I, I have uh information in my book about my personal life too. So it's not a dry read. I tried to keep it uh, light and, and um, as light as I could with the topic as, as uh, you know, serious as the one we're facing now. Absolutely. So what is your background? You said you were just doing your thing. What, what is your professional background? Well, I studied music at the University of Kentucky and graduated with a degree in music performance. So for a number of years, I I was um, supporting myself as a musician and then a part-time musician. And uh, I've been an administrator at a company called Earthlight that does workshops and seminars on personal growth, spiritual growth, uh, primarily. Awesome. Okay, perfect. And so as far as the, let's, you know, I, like I said, when we were talking prior to the show starting, we were this audience and as as i am a physician and sharing the health benefits and oh my heavens they are well aware of the health benefits but i'd like to dive into kind of some of the topics that we don't cover as much on the show um although they may be well versed i would love to learn from you what mm -hmm. about climate so where where are you getting your data where is the science pointing that this you know eating a whole food plant based diet is a healthier version than a meat centric diet like how how does one person make a difference? Like, where would you even begin on that type of topic? Yeah, this is good. that's a good question. You know, there's, um, <clears throat> I'll go back to Oxford University. They did a five-year study. They analyzed uh, the inputs and outputs of uh, over 38,000 farms in 119 countries. And what they, did, what they determined was that an American, uh, where we eat three times uh, per capita more meat than the global average, that an American could lower their carbon footprint by 73% simply by becoming plant-based. And you know, there's no other single thing that you could do that could come close to that. You know, people are um, putting solar panels on their house and they're buying electric cars. And you know, mainstream media <clears throat> talks that we need to move away from burning fossil fuels. Um, because, you know, fossil fuels contributes to climate change and we need to start driving electric cars. But mainstream media does, does not talk about how our food choices are contributing to climate change. And so I think we need to have a discussion about this because, you know, people are good hearted people. I think people want to do the right thing. And we want to make sure that our actions and, and our intent are, is having the impact that we're looking for. And like I said, based on this uh, Oxford University study, and there's other studies too that are in my book, there's not a single other thing you could do that could uh, reduce your carbon footprint more than just eating plants. That's because animal agriculture uh, creates so much um, carbon emissions and environmental degradation. I have charts in my book about this that show that plant-based foods are far superior to animal-based foods in, in almost every environmental category from land use, water use, uh, energy consumption, greenhouse gas emissions, eutrophic eutrophication, um, land degradation. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I love these charts because it makes it really, really um, uh, impact visually to see um, just the comparison between plants and animals. For, for instance, it takes 100 times more land to, to grow a gram of protein from beef or lamb than it does from tofu. And so that is, you know, that blew my mind when I read that. Um, you know, 70% of the grain that we grow in the United States, we feed to animals. Yeah. That blew my mind. I mean, you know, and the studies show, uh, I think it's Oxford University, again, that said that if we fed that grain, if we diverted that grain and fed it to humans instead, we could feed an additional 1 billion people in the United States alone. Right. And so we don't need to feed 1 billion people, you know, so we could give land back to nature. You know, this would be an excellent way to help solve our carbon problem because 
the, the two largest carbon sinks on the planet, of course, are the ocean, oceans and the land. And so if we could give land back to nature and let mother nature rewild the land, then we're storing carbon. And we would be so much better off, uh, Laurie, for growing plants for human consumption rather than animal consumption. So we would save all this land and all these resources. And you know, the animal agriculture is horribly inefficient. Uh, currently, we have the best food conversion rates with factory farmed chickens. But even then, we're feeding factory farmed chickens four and a half times more food, edible food, than we get back from them. And we're feeding cows 25 times more edible food to them than we get back from them. And it's important to say edible food because some people will say, well, you know, these animals eat food that's not suitable for human consumption, but these conversion rates are for edible food. And if you just look at protein input to protein output, 80% of the protein that we feed to chickens and 96% of the protein we feed to cows is lost. It's never converted. We never get that back. So animal agriculture is, is a losing proposition uh, across the board. There's just no way to make it work. Uh, I just read this week that the 8 billionth person was born on the earth this week. And we're expected to have 9.6 billion people on the planet by year 2050. And there's simply no way that we can feed that many people continuing to um, feed animals plants and then trying to get the measly return back from animals. And climate scientists say that there's really no way we can meet our climate goals without a widespread adoption of a plant-based lifestyle. And that's the science, that's the numbers. There's just no way of getting around it. Unfortunately, it is predicted that the demand for meat and dairy is going to increase by 60% between now and 2050. So the world is becoming more carnivorous. The matrix is expanding exponentially. We have more and more people who are demanding animal-based foods and it's destroying the planet. And we have a choice, you know, that's, that's why my book on the cover, I don't know if you can see it behind me, but there's mm -hmm. a hand offering the reader a red pill. That's because in the Matrix movie, Morpheus offers Neo a red pill. It's a choice between the blue pill where Neo can just continue to live, live his life as he's always been, oblivious to the Matrix, or he can choose the red pill and escape. And so I'm offering the reader this red pill. And, you know, because we don't think we have a choice. Uh, we were born into the matrix. I never chose to eat animal-based foods. And Laurie, I don't know, did you, I think you're plant-based now, isn't that right? Yeah, I've been plant-based for 10 years, but right. we, we grew up in a home where there was not many resources. So we always mm -hmm. had a garden. We ate a lot of potatoes and beans. We only had meat. If we had it once a day, it was, uh -huh. you know, maybe three or four times a week. So honestly, a popper's diet was the diet we ate. And so yeah. I, unbeknownst to me, it was very helpful. And those that's, and that my, my taste buds grew to incorporate tons of fiber in that flavor. Mm. So I was very fortunate. Um, yeah, you are, you are fortunate. You know, most mm -hmm. people, I was taught to eat meat. Mm -hmm. um, I was taught that a meal wasn't a complete meal without meat at the center of the plate. And I talk about in my book how uh, I went to a, a small uh, Catholic school and um, the, the chef in the, in the cafeteria would add oats to the hamburger to try to extend the meat so that she could feed more hungry children. And I mm. talk about how, how I resented that. You know, I thought, I thought, you know, they're putting these inferior ingredients into meat. And I had already internalized this idea that I needed to have 100% pure beef and that these plant-based ingredients were contaminating my hamburger. And right. I felt, I felt um, like I had, um, what's the word, uh, a privilege that I needed that 100%, that it was, that, and it was a way of, I, I think what I didn't like about it is it made me feel like I was poor. And mm. I, I, because I wasn't getting that 100% pure beef patty that you, that I was taught to want through advertising. And that's another big component of this is the advertising that gets done to us and uh, indoctrinates us into uh, eating so much meat and dairy. You know, we're eating 
the average American is eating 58 pounds more meat now than we did in 1960. Wow. Uh, that's wow. yeah. And we're eating 30 pounds more cheese now as, on average per person than we did in 1970. So wow. this is um, it's increased a, a lot just through my lifetime. Right. And we're also, you know, in the last two to three years, the American lifespan has decreased. So my children mm-hmm. are projected to live a shorter lifespan than I have, which is remarkable. So yeah. there's a few questions I have for you. I'm curious. <laughs> okay. Um, why don't uh, we actually discuss food impact? Why do you feel like media is focused in on just, you know, the climate change and as far as like cars and solar? Because, you know, I, I live in California. I was in Colorado and, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to, you're it's gonna be against the law to actually sell anything other than electric cars by 2035. Right. And nobody's saying, hey, by the way, you know, all that water you're wasting, all the food, you know, the the animal agriculture nobody's addressing that except for people on the ground what do you feel Mm -hmm. is the cause of that well i think a lot of it has to do with money and greed unfortunately there's a lot of money to be made in um, having people move to solar power to driving electric cars i mean we have to go buy the car right and um there's a lot of um uh, vested interest in keeping us consuming um, things. So, you know, the thing about a plant-based, a whole food plant-based lifestyle is it's hard to monetize that. You know, the, a big farmer can't really distill that into a drug and sell it back to us. Just as, you know, who's gonna, who can make money on all of us eating, you know, a whole foods plant-based lifestyle? Not very many people. So. I think that that's um, one reason why it doesn't get discussed. Plus, I think people are really um, don't like talking about their food choices. A lot of people get defensive about them. Uh, And I talk about this in my book as well, about the cognitive dissonance that happens uh, within people. Um, You know, we, we want to do better. And when our actions fall short of that, it, it makes us uncomfortable. And so we, we try to avoid those uncomfortable feelings. So when someone talks about um, you know, what we're talking about here today, it makes some people very uncomfortable because it's that feeling of, of knowing better and hearing about the science, but then not doing better. And so to make those feelings go away, they engage in a lot of dissonance reducing strategies like denying um, denying the science, you know, or denying that uh, animals have feelings or that um, denying animal pain and, and things like that. So there's a lot of it, a lot of things are tied into our food choices. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that we've been taught uh, throughout our whole life. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of this too, that we never, you know, I, I just spoke at Plant-Based Utah over the weekend. And so here I was in Park City, Utah, very cold <laughs> and beautiful place. Um, but what was interesting, they were talking about the food insecurities, right? So if we look at, you know, the foods that we donate to home, you know, food banks or provided to homeless is really unhealthy for these foods that we, we don't even want to eat that we give away. But what they were discussing was even if we had everyone switch over to a plant-based diet, our system is not set up to actually to support, you know, right. the production of these very healthy plant-based foods because we are so focused on growing the meat industry and the dairy industry. Um, even though mm-hmm. the dairy industry certainly has been hurt by the plant-based movement, you'll see a decline in dairy farms mm-hmm. and, you know, some hopefully they can find other paths to using their land and their talents as growing, growing things. But mm-hmm. what, any of your research discussion on the food insecurity and how that could actually be better, you know, if people are feeling inclined to help those who are struggling to help themselves with, you know, not having enough food to nourish their bodies. Is there any research there that your book has uncovered? I, I was just curious about that because it, it was just a recent discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, my book talks just briefly about this. I don't go into a lot of details. I mean, we have food deserts in this country uh, and we have, you know, way too many of them. And I'm all for 
coming up with solutions to get um, fruits and vegetables into inner cities and, and places where uh, currently, you know, uh, people in a lot of communities just have processed food at their, that's available to them. And so that's a big problem that we have to address. And then as far as, um, you know, moving away from plant-based foods to, I mean, moving away from animal-based foods to plant-based foods, um, you know, I think this is something that uh, will happen gradually. And I think, you know, we need to drive this change as a consumer because there are vested interests in keeping and maintaining the status quo. And so when I offer the reader a red pill, I'm also saying, you know, there's a blue pill and the blue pill is maintaining the status quo. So all you have to do is just look around, read the news and decide whether, you know, you want to maintain what's happening on the planet right now. And I think most people really want to see uh, positive changes uh, come about. And so I think it's going to happen, you know, person by person. I think we change the world one by one by one. And uh, I think that this will drive the uh, farmers and the companies to grow uh, more foods for uh, people who are looking for, you know, plant-based uh, foods. And so I think it'll be gradual. I talk about in my book how the government subsidizes the meat industry immensely. And, and I talk about like, uh, I think for every dollar that a lentil grower receives from the government, a, a cattle rancher receives $480. So there's huge inequities in the, the farm bill and the subsidies skew um, towards animal-based foods. And so, you know, historically animal-based foods have been luxury items. There's, they should be expensive, you know, and they would be because they are luxury items even today, but, the consumer doesn't realize that because of the, the handouts that our government is giving. So like in 2019, um, the government gave the beef industry uh, $9 billion in direct and indirect payments just so we could have a $4 hamburger. So that's our tax money going to the beef industry, um, which is requiring, I mean, the beef industry is responsible for so much deforestation because these cows have to have food. And so we're, we're clear cutting uh, the Amazon rainforest and other areas so we can, we can grow crops to feed to these cows. And I already talked about the horrible return on investment uh, of doing that, and it's not sustainable. So I think, you know, we need to start you know, individually and, and demand more. We vote with our dollars every time we go to the grocery store. But also at the same time, our government, government needs to uh, look at the subsidies that it's uh, giving uh, some of the major polluters, uh, the meat and dairy industry. And they need to even out that playing field a lot. And they need to help farmers retool their operations towards a plant-based future. Because as I said, Climate scientists say that there's no way we can reach our goals without a widespread adoption of a plant-based lifestyle. So uh, yes, we need to, to take action individually and make choices, but also I think our government can help incentivize this transition away from animal-based foods through the subsidy program and helping farmers retool for a plant-based future. Wow, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't wanna sound like a negative Nelly, but yeah, it's gonna to have to start from the ground up because the government is not gonna change its policies and lining pockets and you know right. lobbyists and stuff. So it's gonna take work like yourself to bring this information in a concise form like a, your book for people to understand what is actually going on. So one other side to this though, you know, we, we spoke about the climate and the importance of that and how that can be the most important decision we make as an individual to help decrease our carbon footprint, but mm -hmm. speak to, you know, some people may get turned off by this, but it is a really important piece, I feel, because if you love animals, you say you love animals, but you have meat on your plate three times a day, I, I feel like there is <laughs> a big part of that This connect right we're living with blinders on we don't know what's happening at the slaughterhouses my grandmother actually worked at a slaughterhouse when i was wow. growing up so 
it always felt like uh, when I'd go out to work with her, you know, I'd spend summers with her. It always felt like death, right? And mm. um, you just see things and I never felt comfortable again because I, I, I mean, we ate meat obviously, but it was very expensive for us to mm-hmm. eat. And so, right. um, but to see that type of uh, situation was very uncomfortable, even as a kid. So I'd mm-hmm. like to, there was some, you know, in the news recently, are you familiar with Upside Foods? Uh, I'm not sure. So it's a biotech company and they're using cell cultivated meat, right? So they mm-hmm. just got FDA approval to move forward with, you know, bringing it one step closer to being on the market. So it's still yeah. like chicken, chicken's their first meat. So it's still chicken meat, but it's mm-hmm. removing the animal component of that, which will help the animals and help the climate. It's not going to help our health, but it'll at least help yeah. the animals and the climate. Um, and I would like to know just kind of how did you address the animal welfare component of this? Because one thing that as a mom, when I switched the, my family over to plant based is I try to make them watch documentaries or encourage them mm-hmm. to watch them and sit down with them and answer questions and discuss it like earthlings. Right. Um, where mm-hmm. did you, how did you proceed in your book to share this information? Uh, well, first of all, in my introduction, you know, I basically come straight out and say, look, I'm not here to blame and shame anybody. I don't think that's an effective way to bring about change. Uh, it just people, you know, tune you out when you do that. And I, you know, I can't blame anybody. I spent the first 23 years of my life in the matrix. I was eating animal-based foods three times a day. And I thought it was natural, necessary, and nutritious uh, because I was taught that it was those things, but it's, it's not. The science in my book says that it's not. So I think a lot of people eat the way they do because they do think it's necessary. And what I'm saying with my book by offering them the red pill is like, no, it's, it, it isn't necessary. All these things that we do, it, it leads to so much needless suffering, suffering for humans, suffering for animals and, and suffering for the planet. And I'm so sorry that your grandmother worked in a slaughterhouse. I can't imagine the toll that that took on her. I've read studies about uh, the impacts uh, of slaughterhouse work on uh, workers. She she was in the office, thank goodness. She was a bookkeeper, but she still Mm -hmm. was, you know, uh, with those. I mean, they would wear, (laughs) they had like white outfits on the guys that were actually on the slaughterhouse floor and Uh blood. And they would have, I mean, um, I remember, I think I was like eight or nine and they had like an office space and they literally, there was like a cow tongue actually on the table. I just would, I just revolted me a little hmm. anyway, but yes, it, yeah, I, I don't, I certainly think this round is she consumed more meat. She died of, you know, cancer. So hmm. um, there's some really things in my heart that really lead me away from meat, but yeah. where would you suggest people learn more about it? Well, I think um, books like mine, you know, will help really help um, people understand that, you know, no animal is a willing participant in the matrix and no animal uh, goes willingly to the slaughterhouse. And, you know, the matrix is a, um, a huge killing machine. You know, we don't want to think about the animals that we're killing, but um, we are doing it, you know, in the United States. Uh, we kill more than a million land animals every hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's nonstop. It's constant. Uh, More than a million land animals per hour. And for what? You know, I've already talked about the the horrible return on investment. We're putting all these inputs in and what are we getting back? We're getting so little back in return. And um, I think once people realize that, then we can make other choices. And also, you know, I talk about how in different cultures, we think of different animals as food and as pets. So I, I share a lot of science in my book. And there's one study uh, that they did with you American children ages four to eight. And they found out some really surprising things about children at that age that almost all children at that age view all animals as pets. of the children surveyed uh, said it was wrong to eat a cow, and 79% said it was wrong to eat a pig. 
uh, 41% of the children said uh, bacon came from plants. So children are, they don't know uh, where the food is coming from. And they're basically, the study said, they're unsuspecting meat eaters. They're eating meat because their parents are giving it to them, not because they're choosing it. And this is what I say in my book is, you know, we have been indoctrinated into eating the way that we do. And my parents did it to me with all the love in their hearts. You know, they gave me meat and dairy and cheese thinking it was the best thing for me, you know, because that's what they were, they were taught by their parents. So I think when uh, getting to my point about the children, they're unsuspecting meat eaters. And the study said, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for us to interrupt this. If we can interrupt this, then we can make a huge uh, difference in terms of climate change because children uh, have empathy for all animals and they don't want to eat them. And then the psychologists say that as we, as we get a little older and right before adolescence, our minds start putting animals into categories. And we, we can, at that age, we're able to do the, the mental acrobatics and gymnastics that's required for saying, you know, we don't eat dogs, cats, and hamsters, but we do eat cows, pigs, chickens, and fish. And, you know, this is all just men, a mental categorization of animals. But, you know, prior to that, we see all animals as, as individuals, as pet-like, as having, uh, being worthy of, of having a life. And so uh, I think once we understand that this is the way that we've been taught to think, and just look at the other uh, parts of the world, you know, we don't eat dogs in our society, but there are other cultures that do eat dogs. And so are you uncomfortable with the idea of eating your dog? Well, if that makes you uncomfortable, then you should probably be uncomfortable about eating other animals too, because that line between dog and cat and, and hamster and chicken and cow and pig is, is one that's been, it's arbitrary. It's been determined by our culture and certain industries, of course, are making money off selling us the body parts of these animals. So they have a vested interest in helping us to think of these animals, not as individuals, but as herds or flocks. And I think that's the big thing. Um, you know, few of us can turn away a stray kitten meowing at our back door, or few people can turn a blind eye to a dog that's been hit by a car. And why is that? It's because we see them as individual creatures with a, a right, with distinct personalities and a, a right to have a, a good life. And we've let these animals into our homes and we have relationships with them and we know that they're loving and, and, and you know, so we, we have relationships with animals. And I talk about several instances in my book. Um, Esther the Wonder Pig is one of, one of these examples where, um, you know, farmed animals, given the chance, can, can be just as loving as our, as our dogs, you know, mm -hmm. but we don't give them that chance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, if anyone knows and follows me on social media, Daisy is my fourth child and she's our, our stray that we got three years ago and she was six months from the pound and she mm. literally rules the house. She has her own chair. She will kick you out of it. She's lovely, just sweetheart. Um, but the thought of being in another culture where they eat dogs is, you know, that should be, it's probably revolting to most Americans, but like right. you said, and I think, you know, the, the, the discussion of speciesism, right? And mm -hmm. some people feel really uncomfortable. You know, I might get a little bit more into the theologic component of this, but are would be, you know, well, humans are special, like we're different. So mm -hmm. we should be able to choose and use animals to our at our will for our own gain. How do you right. address like that? So I mean, when you <clears throat> And that's why I like addressing the plant-based diet through health. As a physician, I have mm -hmm. that authority and you know expertise and knowledge. But for those who really feel compelled to share this message, is there anything that you've come across or a different way of sharing the plight of animals so people will be more sympathetic to that versus, like you said, the aggressive approach does not work? What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? Well, I think there's been a lot of uh, good studies that have come out in recent years that that show that, you know, farmed animals have a much more complex, nuanced life than we like to give them credit for that, 
even under the incredible stress of factory farming, farmed animals have friends, they have family, they play, they have uh, emotions and they have feelings. And I think we don't wanna think that they do, but the science that's coming out in the last few years is proving this. And I include some of that in my book, just about the uh, capabilities that these, these animals have. Uh, for instance, you know, studies have been done and pigs can basically do anything that a dog can do. It can fetch a Frisbee. It, it can do almost any trick that you could teach a dog to do. And they love being cuddled and, you know, being loved on and they show infection too in their own way. Mm -hmm. And that blows my mind because, you know, we have selectively bred dogs for 10 to 11,000 years to become quote man's best friend right so that has evolved over thousands of years to get dogs to the point where we have this very close um, almost symbiotic relationship with each other and pigs um, have been bred to be big and fat and to give us meat they haven't been bred to be our companion, but given the chance, they can be just as much of a companion to us as a dog. And that, that blew my mind because the science shows that they have all these, these capabilities. And, and these are tests that have been done in recent years. And I think it just totally flips the script uh, when, we, when it comes to thinking about you know, farmed animals being these um, animals that are, are complicit in, in their own deaths, basically, and they don't have any, they don't care about their lives at all, which is this idea that, that we have, I think, so many of us, and the science shows that this isn't true. No, you know, some of those, um, some of my favorite social media followers, you know, when you, when you get caught in the, the lure and the addiction of social media, but on the Instagram would be the the farm sanctuaries, and I'm actually on the board of Love and Arms. It's a farm sanctuary or animal sanctuary mm. in, in Colorado, and um, nice. is like the animals cuddling with the the volunteers or the you know right. the folks that run the sanctuary. Um, and I love how Love and Arms does it. The sanctuary I'm the board of, they call them residents, right? So they're not mm -hmm. animals. They're actually people. They're yeah. They're residents of this place and they have caretakers and people who love them and it is really interesting they they work with like chickens and how they um develop relationships with their human caretakers it's really <laughs> really quite fascinating and then speaking of like for example dolphins in the in the sea wildlife right mm -hmm. we're depleting our oceans which is going to lead us to a depleted earth right humans can't right. live with an empty ocean yet we can't right. seem to quite understand that I think, I think, you know, it all comes back, uh, Laurie, to this idea that we somehow separate ourselves from nature. You know, um, we don't think that we're part of nature. And I think it has a, a lot to do with the fact that we live in cities and, and we're, you know, we're not uh, encountering the natural world on a day-to-day -day basis. But we run into trouble when we start thinking that we're somehow separate from nature. And so, you know, I talk in my book about uh, food webs and how, you know, a lot of humans probably think uh, they're at the top of the food chain. In fact, this week I got a, a, a comment on one of my social media posts from somebody who said, you know, I didn't climb to the top of the food chain so I could eat grass. So I just nicely, you know, wrote back to the person with a, with a science-based article that said, look, humans are not at the top of any food chain, <laughs> you know, uh, and, I, and it goes in my book, I go through the trophic levels of our food web, and, you know, the level one are plants that get uh, energy directly from the sun. And that's, you know, every step of a food web in our web uh, is one consent consumption step away from the original energy source, which is the sun. And so humans actually have a trophic level of 2.2. So we're just two tenths of a percent beyond being total herbivores. And that two tenths of a percent is by choice. It's not by necessity. Uh, it's because we enjoy the taste of animal-based foods, but it, there's no physiological or biological need for us to eat that 10% um, of animal-based foods. You know, I haven't had, I haven't knowingly had an animal-based food in 15 years. 
Uh, so it can be done. I'm living proof of that. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying, look, it, it is totally doable. A lot of people will say, oh, yeah, you can become plant-based for a year or two, but eventually it's going to wreck your health. Well, the science in my book says it's the exact opposite. You're going to get healthier and healthier uh, by eating only plants, you know, and if you eat a whole foods plant-based lifestyle, you're just going to reap all the benefits of it. Um, it's the fuel that our bodies uh, are, are meant to be eating. You know, I, I show a, a chart, one of the charts in my book shows um, the physiology or the anatomy of a carnivore. Uh, omnivore, an herbivore, and a human. And a human checks every box of an herbivore. I mean, um, so I think eating plants, that's why it's so healthy for us. That's why we can reverse chronic health conditions like heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, uh, simply by eating a whole foods, plant-based lifestyles because mm. it's so healing for us to, to be eating the proper fuel. Right. It's really funny that you said that because that comparative anatomy argument mm -hmm. is, I think, compelling as a physician. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting, I had a conversation with another physician at a lifestyle medicine conference, believe it or not, mm -hmm. um, had had a discussion with one of my colleagues and was really looking to move towards a plant-based diet. But they go, but I mean, but we have incisors. We're, you know, we're meant to eat meat. And I was like, no, look at your teeth and go look at a dog <laughs> or a cat that now there is you know granted dogs can be plant-based but you know cats are true carnivores that is meant to you know cut away flesh and eat raw meat in a very exactly. aggressive manner i don't think any human's going to be doing that without the <laughs> the help of some you know cutting utensils and fire to you exactly. know actually create make the meat edible without the you know the risk of you know being infiltrated with bacteria that's going to make you sick but there's some changes that occur mm -hmm. in the mind too right when you go plant-based because i haven't eaten willingly or knowingly anyway um mm -hmm. any animal-based products in a decade um yeah. and you know i'm in my 50s so i wow. i feel pretty healthy um uh -huh. what's interesting is i don't even want to walk down the grocery store aisle right like it just yeah. Like the, the meat aisle revolts me. I used to have a love affair with cheese. The thought of eating cheese and what it is makes me nauseous. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I'd rather die than eat animal products at this point. And I mean that in a very wholehearted way. Mm -hmm. What is your thoughts on, on that? Just how you mentally shift when you start understanding and seeing things and live. Yeah. You know, I think, um, when you take the red pill and you escape the matrix, you start seeing our world, you know, through a different lens. And so I can give you an example. So I got a piece of junk mail the other day and it said, Stuart Waldner, you're invited to a very special dinner. You're a VIP guest to come to this dinner. And on the envelope, it had a fork with three pieces of steak on it. And I was like, well, they don't, obviously they don't know me for the first thing, but then also, you know, I think most people see that and they go, yeah, I am a very important person. Look, they're offering me a steak dinner for free. I'm special. Yeah, I'm going to go do that, you know, but for me, I looked at that and I thought, you know, I wondered about the animal. I wondered about the environmental input impact of raising that animal. I thought about the conditions in the slaughterhouse for this creature. I, I thought about, you know, the whole, uh, you know, behind the curtain, so to speak, of the matrix. And so when you take the red pill and you start um, learning about our food system and the inequities in our food system and how we're treating animals and the impact it's having on our health and the health of the planet, you know, you just start seeing things differently. And so I agree that it's a huge mental shift that occurs. I can't say that it happened for me um, overnight, but I think, you know, I do, when I saw that piece of mail, I thought, wow, you know, I've, I've really come a long way. And I, I was go, going back to my story about the hamburgers in my grade school. Um, I laugh now because, you know, if I grill up a burger, it's 100% plant-based. And so I've made a 180 degree <laughs> Uh, turn from where I was mentally as a child, where I thought, oh, this is an inferior product to going out of my way and even paying more for it. 
because I know it's healthier for me and, and better for the animals and better for the planet. So. so I'd be curious to hear your discussion as Stuart now to the Stuart who is in that line thinking, I'm getting oats in my hamburger. <laughs> um, you know, it always is interesting to think about your, your decades later, if we could just go mm -hmm. back and give ourselves a little bit of advice. Um, but you came yeah. into this journey so early, you know, even giving up meat at 23, which is remarkable. I always yeah. find that fascinating because back in the eighties and <laughs> that would have been much more difficult. Yeah, it, it was, um, you know, one thing that helped me was I became deathly ill. I had food poisoning from bacon around that uh... time. And I just swore, I, I, I just could not eat it anymore. After that, I was so sick. And so, wow. and then, you know, the science just said, that I would do better, I'd have better health outcomes if I did this. And so for me, it was really kind of an overnight decision as far as giving up meat. And then in 2008, giving up all animal-based foods. Mm. Uh, it was a binary decision for me. It was a red pill, blue pill. Well, I chose the red pill. But in my book, you know, I'm saying any, any um, change that you can make, any, any steps you can take towards reducing your consumption of animal-based foods and eating more whole um, plant-based foods is gonna uh, make a difference. It's gonna make a difference for your health, for the health of the planet. So I don't want people to think that, you know, they have to do this overnight or that it has to be a hundred percent. For me, it was, but um, you can do it gradually. Uh, just try with, you know, meatless Mondays or something like that, or um, you can make it a, a gradual uh, thing that you wanna, you know, give a try. But the best, um, you know, that you can do is all we can do is, you know, the, the best we can mm -hmm. where we are at the time. So mm -hmm. I encourage people to, to do, you know, the best they can where they are. And yeah. one of the things that I think helps, and I, I list in the back of my book, um, the five pillars to success with a plant-based lifestyle. And one of them, um, and this is from a friend of mine who's, who uh, wrote the appendix for me. One of the things is, you know, um, set your kitchen up for a healthy plant-based lifestyle. So don't buy ingredients and things that aren't on your menu list, because if it's in your house, it's going in your mouth. So we know, we know that that's going to be true. So there are things that we can do to set ourselves up for success. And one of them is just, you know, having a list at the grocery, buying what's on your list for the meal plans that you have. Uh, thought out and not buying additional things that aren't on your meal plan and and you can make it you can help make that transition a lot easier and seamlessly that way well what are the other four pillars oh my gosh this is a big test now i have to look at my book <laughs> to see uh you know and I, I think you know uh the others are um, you know, having a community, mm -hmm. you know, you have to have support for this. And I talk about this in my book. Um, it can feel sometimes if you're not, if you're doing this by yourself and your family and friends aren't on board with you, it can be a real challenge. So mm -hmm. I encourage people to find online resources, look for a, a, a plant-based community in your city. Um, there's one in, in Lexington where I live. There's one in Cincinnati, just north of here, and one in Louisville. Um, so, you know, if you can find communities on Facebook and social media and reach out, but I think it's really important to um, have that. And then we, you know, we, we want to continue our education. You were talking about me talking to my grade school self, but I'm thinking, you know, what will my future self want to tell me now that mm -hmm. I don't know? Um, 20 years from now, looking back, what, what will that Stuart be telling me? So this is a, a, this is, um, a continual process of, of educating ourselves, of learning, of growing and changing. And so keep it, you know, as an adventure, make it fun. You know, I love learning new things. And so just make it something that you enjoy uh, find a new recipe every week. I think that's one of the um, one of the components in the pillars. You know, make it a creative, fun endeavor, and if you can, uh, share the journey with other people, other like-minded people, with friends and family, and um, that makes it uh, that much easier and that much more enjoyable. Absolutely, I think if you have your people around you, you're more likely 
in that social contagion piece, either bad habits or good habits or any habit mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. more you, you're with the people that you want to be like, the more likely you are to be successful. That's a hundred percent for sure. Well, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So thank you for your time today. This was a really cool conversation and I'm really excited for people to read your book. Where can they find you? Where can they get the book? Okay, thank you for asking. So they can find more information about me at at my website. It's stuartwaldner.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, They can find me by searching my name. And then my book's available at Amazon. So it's called Escape the Matrix, Eat Plants, Feel Great, and Save the Planet. Excellent. Win, win, win all the way around for the people, the planet and our very lovely animal friends. Fantastic. So that'll all be in the show notes, guys. If you want to click on it, uh, we'll make sure that that those links are there. And again, Stuart, thank you for your time. And, you know, really, it's I just always want to say thank you to the guests for one, for sharing your story, but two, for taking the time out of your life and your your passions to write something like this that will help others along their journey. So I I think it's a little bit, uh, you know, people take it for granted that there's books Mm. out there that people have taken time to write and research as you have done. Um, So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's a a labor of love. Uh, I feel very passionate about this. I've seen the rewards in my own life. And uh, as I say, uh, I've seen the the needless suffering that's happening in so many people around me, and and I think this message is so important. And if I can just you know uh, encourage one person to escape the matrix, then that'll be a, a reward for me. So I appreciate being on shows like this, so I can uh, spread my message. And you know I'm not the only one spreading this message. There are countless other people who have written books and are doing art and doing documentaries and you know it's it's a whole slew of people that are trying to um, uh, energize this movement and to bring it to um, a greater awareness across mm. uh, all of America and all over the world so yeah you know I'm happy I always... to just have add my voice to it no I think that's wonderful and you know one of the things that I started the podcast was was to learn why people were able to change their behavior. But honestly, then it just turned into, it was a great opportunity and excuse to meet people and hear their stories. <laughs> so it's turned into <laughs> quite a wonderful uh, place for me to just connect with people and, and just have a nice conversation. So again, thank um, you. And we really appreciate your time today. Thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe and alert buttons so you don't miss out on any of the amazing content we're working so hard to provide you. We upload a new episode of Health and More with Dr. Lori Marbus every Friday. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find us on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. If you're looking for amazing resources to help you start and sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, or anything wellness, we got you covered there too. Because at Mora, we actually provide physician-led support groups to help people live happier, healthier lives free of metabolic disease. Don't forget to check out our website at mora.com. And thanks again for watching.